You're listening to the podcast for grain merchandisers by grain merchandisers. Join us in our good humored attempt to serve as a voice of reason in an industry fraught with misconceptions and half truths. And now, from deep in America's heartland, this is the Elevator's Cut. Hello and welcome back to another episode of The Elevator's Cut. I am one of your hosts, Roger Gaddis. And I'm your other host, Jason Wheeler. Jason, how are you doing, man? It's so good to see you again. Just right. It's it's great. It's nice and nice and warm still, or the, the ends of summer and fall harvests are upon us. It's great. Best time of year. Best time of year. And we were actually fortunate enough today to snag someone before they get into the the picadillos, if you will, of fall harvest. And uh, it's our friend from the great north, Mr. Pete Archer from Amazing Acres. Pete, how you doing today? Oh, they're working me like a dog up here. You guys would hardly believe it. But uh, anyways, uh, we're at least going to have a decent crop to uh, to harvest here this fall. So uh, we're looking, looking forward to that. And we're probably just a, a few days out from... Uh, soybean harvest and uh, probably just a few weeks out from corn harvest uh, starting off on the early side so all right so Pete obviously I mean you're you're uh you're the most famous person on this podcast uh by by a good short you're you're what they call an influencer I think these days um you're like the not not all influences are good but i'll keep that (laughs) i say you're like the kim kardashian of the ontario ag world is that is that fair to say or well i don't know that my booty holds up but i'm close so (laughs) Uh, that's good so but we wanted to i guess start off with uh just for listeners and everything tell them kind of who you are and and uh your backstory how you got in the business and and all that yeah okay so i uh i'm uh geographically i'm kind of located uh, on the north shore of lake ontario straight across from rochester new york for the american people the uh, canadians i'm kind of between toronto and ottawa um the uh yeah that's uh this area through here was was largely a mixed livestock operations uh you know growing up through the 80s uh we fed a lot of cattle a bunch of hogs and stuff around here and um that uh that was you know a lot of pasture ground we're not really um we're in a very rolling country through here and uh with a very uh mixed uh, uh soil types and and terrain and um so yeah lend itself well and there's still lots of ground around here that'll never be anything but cattle pasture so you know that's kind of my background grew up in doing that and uh really didn't like the cattle business all that much unless they're cut into steak and not all that interested i guess is what it comes <laughs> down to so anyway so we uh uh liked i like the crops and uh so anyways got into the as i you know got out of school and uh eventually bought a combine and started doing some custom harvesting and then we started running into you know not having enough um you know elevator capacity locally to to handle all these crops and it was just huge lineups and uh anyways uh I eventually had to figure out that you know we had to get into the green business and, and figure out how to how to run an elevator business which was was very different than anything i'd ever you know really been involved with before um had no experience whatsoever really didn't know what i was doing but uh um when it was it was such a really it was such a mess that uh that um you know 
kind of you could be pretty inept and still you know get away with it and and uh and get green just because there was nowhere else to go with it and uh and so you know that really started to push one of the big factors was for us was that uh, 2008 20th i think it was of 2003 uh somebody found a, a stumbly cow out in alberta um and that closed the border to uh to canadian cattle uh so a lot of those cattle that were around here you know we took you know, $1,800 fats and turned them into $300 fats over the course of a month, right? Uh, there was just nowhere, they no kill capacity for them. And, and it was just a bloodbath, you know, it was bad. And, uh, and uh, so, you know, that went on and it took, it took us 10 years to get back out of that. It wasn't until 2013 that we got cattle back to $1,800. So you remember what happened in the meantime, the grain business took off and boom. Um, also about 2008 was, uh, was a bad cycle in the hog business. So the hogs are, are pretty much gone out of this area you know you know you can hardly find one to have a barbecue now so um that was a that was a huge change for us uh you know so, so just all kinds of you know what our, our market for grain here used to be livestock the livestock's all gone now um we got an ethanol plant in 2010 you know kind of almost in our backyard sort of thing um you know we've seen uh we've seen other ones built around the province and um so yeah so we just got into this situation you know even though in 2010 we got a, an ethanol plant right in our backyard uh we were still putting corn on on shipping into the export so we're our, our proximity is very close to the st lawrence seaway so so we also trade uh an export market um as well as trading you know uh feed markets you know to the east and to the west of us still exist um and we trade you know local local ethanol plant markets so so yeah quite a quite a wide array of things we also trade you know quite a bit over into new york state as well but um you know what we kind of found out you know when we we, uh, we licensed into the elevator business the 2008 was the first year we licensed into that um and uh started commercially you know taking grain at that point so the fall of 2010 we saw the situation where we would see buck 20 undervalues that fall just because there was nowhere to go with the grain even though we had ethanol plants that were grinding hard they still can only take so much a day there was no space for this for this grain to go to so we were putting it on boats at export values and making it go away so i'm looking at this at this point saying well this doesn't make any sense for us to be making this grain go away when we'll have to bring it back in here again next summer when this ethanol plant is going to need it. It doesn't make any sense to make it go away. So that's when we started building more storage and we had to figure out how to be hedgers or basis traders that we could get this stuff bought because that fall of 2010, where we seen the buck 20 under values at our elevator, we were like the worst place in the province for basis because we had the, you know, we were the furthest from those end user markets and uh, and there was just no space here to handle it. So fast forward through to the to the summer of 2011, we would watch basis levels move to a buck 20 over. So we could see a 240 swing in basis, U.S. money, plus the spread between the D's and the July to carry corn out across there. And that's how we had to figure out how to be basis traders. So we didn't make that money. Nobody made that money. 
that opportunity only existed because nobody could do it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that's what would, you know, move us. So, so now do we buy buck 20 under grain anymore? No, we don't now. <laughs> now, now we have some disciplined basis traders here is a good thing for the farmer because now we're quite often this area in here, some competition for this grain. Now we're quite often the firmest basis in the province here all summer long. We've been the firmest basis, um, as we've had markets for this stuff and been out ahead of the inverse in the market. So that's, um, you know, some of the things I guess we've learned from uh, over the years, uh, um, you know, this basis trading thing. And uh, like I say, I got to I got to give a, a tip of the hat to White Commercial that, uh, you know, you guys have been uh, uh, instrumental in uh, in helping us, uh, you know, uh, learn how to do this. Uh, you know, the back office stuff, uh, processes of, of having to figure out that, I mean, just hugely instrumental. And we do do thank you guys for that. Well, it's uh, you guys are, are, the, are the boots on the ground, so to speak, making it happen. So it's it's awesome to hear these stories. I love hearing these types of stories. And what you just mentioned, you know, the bulk of that stuff in the grain took place in a 10 year period. <laughs> roughly, You saw wild extremes, developments and markets, you know, old markets leaving, new ones coming in. And uh, I think the key thing you touched on there, Pete, was that you saw the what was going on currently didn't make sense and there was opportunity and and uh, i think history has proved you right exceedingly right on that just by the way that markets developed up there in the in the last 10 years and uh, I, I think it's really neat and i, I do want to point out uh, and i'm sure the listeners caught it too a few times when you were talking about basis you referenced you know u.s uh values on basis so obviously uh being in canada and and um uh, trading uh, grain. I say obviously, maybe it's not obvious to everybody, uh, but uh, you do have a few extra steps to take when it comes to to basis trading and merchandising in Canada. Uh, that's just on that merchandising aspect. Would you mind, Pete, going into detail a little bit more on that? And then also, what are some other differences uh, maybe within Canada itself in agriculture, specifically with grain trading, uh, that you've noticed, and then any differences between, you know, say Ontario and, and the rest of the U.S. that you see. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so one of the things with the uh, with the grain business is is that we are hugely influenced by the export market, kind of uh, regardless of where you are, I guess, but more so when we're sitting right next to the St. Lawrence River. Uh, that that's a huge. Uh, a huge impact on our markets. Uh, sometimes uh, the export market's just not part of the game at all, but it, it results in everybody thinking in U.S. values. That's what grains trade uh, in the in the world markets trades in U.S. values, and so that's what we think uh, uh, in terms of when I'm talking to um, when I'm talking to you guys. If I'm talking basis level, that's what I'm talking about. Um, I have pretty much zero farmers growers that that talk in U.S. basis values. Um, those guys have all their inputs, um, have all their payments are all in Canadian dollars. And so they are justifiably so Canadian dollar focused. Right. Mm-hmm. And, um, so, so that's, you know, really all that we do is, uh, you know, when we, when we buy grain, we just, uh, get long Canadian dollar futures, um, against that position. So essentially, um, you know, convert our Canadian uh, basis position to a U.S. basis position and trade that. And uh, so, yeah, it's a little bit complicated at times, I guess. But uh, you know, it's it's a manageable 
uh, thing. It's just math at the end of the day, I guess. And uh, um, it lets us uh, do that because uh, uh, the uh, Canadian uh, dollar is a, a huge effect, uh, um, a cent on the or um, uh, one point on the uh, a basis point on the uh, Canadian dollar is going to make about 15 cents on soybeans right per bushel. So it uh, it's, it's a huge factor as that thing uh, moves up and down. And we've seen it this year, probably this year, we've seen the Canadian dollar uh, trade approximately a seven or eight cent uh, uh, trading range here, right? Uh, not unusual to see a trade a 10 cent trading range uh, within the year. So yeah, a penny difference on it makes a, makes a big difference. Yeah, so on top of the you know the the hedge risk of of the grain, you've got the hedge risk on the currency, which which you said you know is manageable, and it, I'm sure it just becomes old hat process, you know. But uh, I think that's something that a lot of folks may not realize that uh, you know as far as the bookkeeping and back office stuff that has to be managed because you can he- keep your grain perfectly hedged up, but if you're off on currency, well, like you said, it it can have a huge impact on uh, on your position and your ability to generate a margin. Yeah, exactly. So well, yeah. So yeah. I have a question on the on that. So obviously, so every time you know in the U.S. A commercial buys grain, they sell futures, and that's it. You have to do that, but you also have so you have to do two hedges because you have to do the currency hedge also. So you, you're yeah, that's correct. You're doing double work there every time you make a transaction. But then the um, but the other side is so is it possible you could have a I mean a great year trading basis just strictly basis, but if the currency went the wrong way, there's no way to predict that really. So it just, it could, it could kind of sap everything or how, how do you manage that? Will you sell be, just because currency values have, have made your position better or how do you, I guess, how do you do that? Well, that yeah, one of the, one of the, one of the tricky things with that, I guess, Jason, is it, it makes a good point because that Canadian dollar as it moves lower, uh, and we're still tra- thinking in, in U.S. values, we're going to pay more Canadian basis. And Canadian basis is just kind of a made-up number, really, is, wh- is what it is, because uh, it, it, it's taking into effect uh, local demand and it's taking into effect currency both. So, but it's just kind of a made-up number because it, it can be uh, influenced both by the dollar. And uh, so you could have a situation where basis moved higher one day, but the Canadian dollar was higher, so you don't see that reflected in your cash Canadian price. Um, but what we can see happen sometimes is we can see a situation where Canadian dollar runs significantly higher. So we're whacking those Canadian posted basis levels uh, back to the farmer and the farmer just throws up his hands and says, I'm not throwing selling corn no matter what at those values. And so then we can see uh, you know, end users all of a sudden or export markets have to push harder to buy some of that grain mm. and they will push more of a U.S. dollar to kind of, you know, make the cash market work um, and vice versa. You can see the other situation go on where all of a sudden, you know, the dollar uh, drops down real low. All of a sudden you start paying huge cash prices to the farmer and he's selling this, but then you lose your opportunity because the end user is going to get run over with grain in that situation. So basis will get, you know, really soft into that situation. And we see that happen time to time. And there's just no predicting when that's going to happen. But, uh, you know, eventually those things, those things are, are generally pretty short term phenomenons and uh, okay. that, uh, you know, can both be, uh, both be risk, but they can be great opportunities, uh, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, positioned to, to take them on. So. Interesting. 
Now, the uh, other thing, uh, Pete, just uh, within, you know, the obviously Canada is a big country, uh, but, you know, with with grain sectors and, you know, we were talking last week a little bit about the differences between, say, eastern Canada and western Canada. What what can you speak to that a little bit uh, to our audience about that that may not know what exists uh, between those two areas? Yeah, so so one of the the interesting things with uh, within Canada, and like I say, you really almost separate that into you know Ontario and I guess Quebec too, really, but uh, versus the the Prairie provinces. Uh, so one of the things we had the, the the Canadian Wheat Board. Everybody's probably familiar with that term, and it, it's a it's a relic now. It's it's, it's gone, and uh, I don't really think uh, that many people miss it. Really, um, it was uh, maybe had its place in the day, but it uh, it kind of outlived its usefulness. Is basically what happened with it. But uh, so so it's kind of the history on that was with in Ontario here we had an Ontario Wheat Board, and this would be going back to the mid '90s that. Um, well, probably was about that, that run up about ninety six, I guess, where we saw a huge run up in the in the board and uh, great forward contract prices on on uh, on wheat. Well, we weren't allowed to to forward contract wheat at that time. The um, uh, we we had to sell everything through a pool. So the 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 wheat board, uh, you would you would send you you would ship your wheat uh, to a, to an elevator. And then the board would market that stuff. And so they would have a bunch of forward contracts on. They might sell a bunch at harvest time. They would sell a bunch out for the year. So you'd get a, a, a an early payment. So, you know, maybe they were on here because we're in Canada. So, um, you know, maybe they'd pay you $80 as a, or $100 a ton as a, um, as a, as a forward um, uh, in advance on it sort of thing. And then, you know, maybe in January, you'd get a another payment of a, dollars a ton and then um you know about about the, almost the time you pull the combine out for the next crop you'd get your final payment um as to what it was so you just really didn't know what you were getting uh so so go back to 96 and all of a sudden now we got and i don't even remember what the prices were but i'm thinking you know that we were five dollar wheat or something at that time right and so we had you know growers here in ontario that were you know going to the wheat board and saying like Look, are you guys, you know, getting us forward sold? Because we want to get forward sold on this thing. We're not interested in looking for better. We just want this price locked in. Mm-hmm. So, kind of got to this situation where they, okay, well, we'll, um, you know, let you just lock this stuff in, you know, for this crop sort of thing. We'll give you a forward contract opportunity because, yeah, we can turn around and market this stuff right away and, and, uh, and, uh, you know, get out from under that and, yep, you can have that. So, so that kind of went on with this stuff for a little bit. Then, you know, as I, I believe as we got into that fall, um, that it um, all of a sudden, you know, everybody's like, well, if we could forward contract last year's crop, why can't we forward contract this year's crop? Mm-hmm. Well, okay, I guess you can sort of thing. So that's what kind of, you know, kind of started the ball rolling. And then as time went on, um, we just got a little bit more freedom, a little bit more freedom until we really just, uh, you know, got to the point was, well, I think kind of what we got to was, okay, so it's okay for us to forward contract today, but tomorrow we're going to draw a line in the sand after I combine it and I can't forward sell it anymore. Like, does that really make any sense? Well, no, not really, I guess. So we'll, um, yeah, we'll let you do it one more day. We'll let you do it right off the combine sort of thing. <laughs> and it just got to the point that the, the free market just took over is really what happened. Um, 
So that didn't happen in Western Canada. I don't really know why, uh, but it, it really didn't happen. And uh, that, uh, there was lots of vocal guys out there, too, that, that wanted uh, freedom to market and, and, and were looking at uh, licking their chops, looking at better opportunities um, into uh, North Dakota and whatnot that, that, that they could look at and, and not get access to. Um, and uh, so, you know, why that really happened, I don't know, but we didn't really see that happen. I think that we um, finally uh, abolished the, the wheat board in, in Western Canada in about 2014. And uh, so they've got, you know, freedom to do what they want. They can sell it to U.S. brokers, U.S. mills. They can go wherever they want with it out there now. But uh, the rail is a much bigger uh, thing because they don't have that much uh, end use out there um, you know, versus what they have for export markets. There's, there's a pile of it that goes to export market, goes to Vancouver by rail, to get out of there. So a lot of the rail companies, the big grain companies, control a lot of that stuff out of there. And we don't see, you know, as many independent, um, uh, you know, grain elevators on the prairies, um, you know, because of that sort of situation. Now, not that... Not that I agree with that. You know, like I say, I go back and forth with some guys on Twitter once in a while, you know, that just, you know, tell me it's it's different out here. We we can't, uh, you know, do that because we've got to, you know, I've got to deal with that. Uh, those big companies eventually anyways. Well, you know, guess what? No different here, guys. Like we're we're trading, uh, you know, we trade stuff to your P&H, to your Richardson's G3. We've got all those companies here we deal with, too. Um, but, you know, to, to, to get that, um, you know, ownership of that basis when the farmer needs to move that stuff, um, you know, there'll come a day that, uh, that those big companies need to buy this stuff and, you know, they'll come to us because, you know, they can, I'll sell them a whole boatload of it in one shot and, uh, mm -hmm. that, that, um, you know, is, is, uh, is worth a lot to them when they need that boatload, uh, you know, instead of going around and trying to chase this stuff, uh, you know, um, one contract at a time sort of thing. Right. So yeah, it, yeah. uh, that, that, that's, uh, you know, that, that's part of it. So I don't know. I, I would say that, uh, uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, the talk on Twitter this summer with guys feeling that they're, they've been abused, um, by, uh, um, by some of the large, uh, companies, um, on their, uh, non-performance on some of their contracts because of drugs. Um, I believe that that will be, uh, um, a segue for uh, some independents to to get into the uh, into the grain business, and um, like I say, uh, that uh, you know, you, it's very much a relationship business, and uh, to to look after our growers. We've had short crops here too, and uh, when we've had guys that have come up short on this stuff, you know, we can roll them into into uh, into another crop year, roll them into other commodities. Um, you know, there's always things that we can do to, you know, to work with these guys. And mm -hmm. I, that's, a, that's a huge part of the grain business. Uh, it's, uh, it's not all, uh, it's not all sunshine and gumdrops all the time. Uh, and, <laughs> um, but, you, you know, at the end of the day, you got to work with guys. So. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think my big takeaway from what you just mentioned is that forward contracting equals freedom. I love that. That's uh, if I ever get a tattoo, it'll be that. Um, you know, your point, your point about the service and, and, and commercial elevators not providing the service needed will spur new growth of independence. Absolutely. And, and Jason, we've seen that just within our own short time here uh, with what we do for a living. You know, I've seen that. See, everybody's like, oh, the country elevator's dead. It's like, really? Because there's new ones being formed all the time. All the focus is on consolidation of big co-ops and, and, and big big players which is happening but you know what there's a whole lot of private mom and pop shops opening up every year too 
you know, it's, it's, mm -hmm. and it's for the reasons that Pete just said, you know, some form of service, it could be logistics, it could be contracting, it could be, uh, you know, just working with people, uh, on a personal level, but, you know, and Pete, you can attest to that. I mean, you're, you've seen it, you've been a part of it. And, uh, I, I think that's a, that's where the growth of the business is right there. And I think it gets overlooked a whole bunch. Yeah. Well, like I say, it, it, uh, you know, I think that a lot of times that we're just, uh, you know, smaller and that we, uh, a little bit more nimble and we can, uh, uh, we can just work, uh, you know, we just work differently. I think, you know, I quite often, you know, you get, uh, toward the tail end of harvest and there's not a lot going on, but you got one or two guys that want to work, you know, the midnight that night. So I'm sitting there, you know, half asleep, they're running the dump pit and, uh, you know, thinking about, uh, you know, the, the the large commercials down the road and they probably got three guys there because of labor laws and something. I'd be thinking, geez, I'm not glad I'm glad I'm not competing against that idiot over there working for nothing. Sort of thing, you know, but anyway, <laughs> that's, that, and that, that helps, you know, th those, uh, those, uh, those long hours towards the end of harvest is a time. I think that, uh, you know, you can really work on your meme game. And uh, you know, <laughs> so, so I, I would, you know, on that end, you know, is there any redeemable qualities to ag twitter what's your thoughts be <laughs> you know what that's a that's a very good question you know i i say yes um you know picking through what they are is uh is maybe a whole lot tougher but uh you know the, definitely there, there's value uh in that um uh in that thing and it's uh uh do i waste too much time on it yes absolutely i do um yeah, but uh, yeah, it, it can be a huge time suck. There's no question about that. Uh, but I have met some absolutely phenomenal people through Twitter. Um, and, you know, to uh, so a bunch of these guys, you know, that I, um, you know, we call up and talk on a regular basis and stuff now, guys that I think I would have never met, um, you know, w without Twitter. Um, and, you know, guys that I've made huge business decisions, uh, you know, by talking to these guys. And, um, you, you know, you guys included sort of thing, uh, I probably would have crossed paths with you otherwise, but, uh, yeah. And, and so, you know, how do you put a value on that? You know, I don't know, but, uh, like I say, I, uh, I buy a lot of grain through Twitter. Um, you know, when I, uh, if I need some, if I'm short somewhere and, um, and I got to push on to, to, to buy some grain, I tweet it and, um, you know, I can, I'm usually buying grain within five minutes of doing that. Um, that that's, uh, that's been a huge, uh, uh, a huge thing for me. Um, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't tweet about markets on a, on a regular basis sort of thing. Um, uh, but you know, when I see something, you know, kind of goofy going on in the market that I will, you know, give guys a heads up to, to uh, do that. But, you know, like I say, usually, usually I'm, I, I, I tend to be, I'd say I tend to be a, a more conservative person that if you want to call me a bear, call me a bear, I guess. But, uh, I, I tend to be, I, I tend to be always looking to manage risk. I think that that's a, a big personality um, type with me um, that I'm always looking to do that. And uh, like I say, I, um, I'm, I'm certainly not a guy that's always telling everybody to sell something. Um, you know, if, if, if it's, if it's below cost of production, I'm, you know, in a hold pattern and I'm a guy that's telling you to get target orders in there and get something sold. Uh, but, uh, yeah, when I'm seeing something that's, uh, that's going on, if there's good opportunities, I, I mean, one of my sayings is, is, uh, when the cookie plate goes around, don't be afraid to take a couple, right? And, uh, that Amen. when you see those rallies in the market, that, you know, I'm going to be on Twitter coaxing guys to, to do that. And, uh, like I say, that's, uh, you know, one of the down things, uh, side of Twitter is that, uh, 
you can have some incredibly negative people on there. And there's a bunch of people on there that just do not like to hear the possibility of lower prices um, coming along and uh, can be uh, can be very uh, confrontational about that sort of thing, right? Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, you know, I'm a, pretty much a call it as I see it sort of guy. So. Yeah. And I think your tribe speaks to that, the respect that that, 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 that uh, derives, you know, uh, people like to hear what you're saying. And, you know, you know, it's a, it's a, um, it's a consistent message and it's a, it's a, it's a profitable message. I, I have a developing theory that the more like uh, bull ang- anguish on Twitter, which would be bulls getting upset at bears, you know, animal things. I think that drives newsletter subscriptions. I think the more people get mad about not hearing what they want to hear on Twitter, I think that makes more newsletters popular. So to all the newsletters writers out there, you're welcome. We're doing our part. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. If you want to sell a newsletter, just, yeah, just be bullish and people, people find you, you know, that's great. The uh, so one one thing I I wanted to uh, you did mention like labor laws at one point just real briefly I mean with your interactions and with U.S. folks and the regulatory environments you guys are dealing with, I know y'all have some unique things going up a lot of folks that listen are down here in the states and and uh, don't know what what all you guys deal with um, but uh, are, what are some unique things uh, you know. Do you guys have a USDA that puts out numbers? It's probably not called USDA. And uh, yeah, we have the markets and all that. So, like what? Tell us briefly about that side of things. Yeah. OK, so StatsCam is our version of the USDA and uh, that, uh, yeah, they track the um, uh, they track the, the, the crop size and whatnot. And uh, um, yeah, we uh, it, it's not you know, it's not widely followed. Um, I believe I and I don't believe their accuracy is as good as the USDA is either. Um, and uh, so some of your American friends are going to uh, say, well, that's really bad, you know, but <laughs> honestly, you know, the USDA um, hasn't, uh, you know, last year they had a big miss, but uh, the um, yeah, overall, they have not been that far off the mark most years sort of thing. StatsCan has uh had some uh, much wilder swings than that. And I, I think they got one going on stating the, the size of the Western Canadian crop right at the moment, uh, both in canola and in wheat. So we'll see how that goes, but um, yeah. I got you. Uh, all right. Well, as we get towards in here, we have a few uh, bonus questions we wanted to hit you up with. So, my my first question is why is uh, Canadian agriculture in general just better at naming things than Americans? You what's the, the name of your company's Amazing Acre Farm spelled like you know maize or the corn you know the Indian name for corn? Is that PC? I don't know. No, what I can it's say. absolutely not. <laughs> no, I'm just from Arkansas. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. But anyways. Uh, you know, I, I read I read the names of, of you got Amazing Acres. You got uh, I got a hat from uh, Want to Make It Farms and Bit of Luck Farms. Like it's you know good. You don't have to think about it. It's like oh that's a cool play on words. So and then you know we get down here and we're naming stuff. And first of all, there's a lot of under I don't know how many farmers elevators there are. You know and producers elevator and you know co-ops that just name themselves that and unbelievable. And then. But yeah, then lately we get into, I mean, I think we just overthink things. 
I don't I don't want to answer the question for you, but you know, like it's like, well, what's the what's the language of origin? I gotta I gotta research so I understand this stuff. Like it's it's crazy. Uh, we name stuff down here. I, it's what I'm finding. I apologize uh, for uh, for for my soliloquy there. But anyways, why do you think that is, Pete? I suspect it mostly most of uh most of what we do up here comes back to long cold winters and boredom probably I guess that uh, we uh, got too much time to think about stupid things I guess and uh, do that I guess instead. <laughs> there, there's our answer. That's 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 pretty succinct and complete. Uh, I, I got I got one for you, Pete. I need to know it's why is Donna the luckiest woman in Ontario? <laughs> Well, yeah, that's uh, that's somewhat uh, somewhat uh, to debate, I guess, you know. But uh, anyways, uh, yeah, we uh, we give her a pretty hard time on Twitter all the time and uh, all my Twitter buddies. And she's always saying I need better Twitter friends. And uh, I think that probably goes without saying, too. But you know what? Uh, uh, met Donna at a bar as a chance meeting, I guess. And, uh, you know, uh, we've been married for coming up 25 years here now. And, uh, yeah, just incredibly awesome. lucky to, to get a chance to cross paths with her and meet her. Um, you know, it's just a, just tremendous. And, uh, you know, we, uh, yeah, we bat, uh, battle back and forth on Twitter and, uh, she just, uh, she doesn't participate near as much, but my man, when she steps in the ring, I take a pretty hard one every time. So, uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, she's got that going for her, but, uh, no, she's, uh, we, we just get along just incredibly well. And, uh, you know, I think, I think that we, we complement each other very well for the grain business. Like she's just a huge part of this business. And, uh, that, uh, you know, I think that a lot of people look at, you know, all the steel and stuff that, uh, concrete that we build around here and, you know, think, wow, that was a huge project. That's nothing compared to the, you know, the back work office that has to get done to, you know, to support these and convince mm -hmm. banks that our borrowing bases are, you know, are justified and blah, blah, blah. And, uh, you know, she's just done a tremendous job of that. And, uh, you know, there's very, very thankful for her. And like I say, I'm, I'm pretty much, she's very detail oriented. I'm pretty much a big picture guy that, uh, you know, just kind of 30,000 feet and just see this, we, we got to do this. We got to do that sort of thing. And, uh, and my follow through is absolutely horrible. Um, you know, where she's very, very good at that. So anyway, that's uh, a huge, uh, you know, a huge part of why we've been successful in the grain business, I guess. Yeah. You guys are quite a team and it's, I know it's an inspiration for a lot of other folks out there, uh, getting into the business to see that, that, that kind of, you know the backbone required uh, of a relationship like that to make a business work and then you said you know it's easy to put a bin up overall it's all the other stuff that goes into that uh to make it profitable that that requires a lot a lot of work and uh, i don't know we're just really happy to to know you guys and 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 to get to be along with you guys in, in part of this journey and um you know thank you for that so uh any other parting thoughts pete you got out there if you want to have the uh the um listeners know anything or hear anything well yeah i guess uh the we're we're still uh we're still in the uh uh in the midst of still having some old crop premium in the market here i guess uh watching uh this inverse uh in the corn market uh is, is going to die a spectacular death it's already dead in uh in in some markets here mm -hmm. and uh as we transition uh this market uh, from uh, from old crop to new crop, uh, it's going to be pretty spectacular watching that happen here. And uh, anyways, um, the uh, 
the baton is going to get passed here pretty soon, and uh, we're likely going to see uh, you know cash prices uh, come back by two bucks a bushel here in the not too distant future, and uh, it's uh, it's going to be uh, interesting watching that all go on. And uh, so if you're uh, if you're still holding old crop corn, and uh, there's a bunch of this stuff that's all showing up, uh, um, you know, understand you know why it's done what it's done, and uh, and understand the dangers of holding that stuff into those inverse markets like that, uh, that, um, you know, learn from this another time, there will be another inverse market, uh, that we'll trade again. The last one we traded was the 2012, 2013 one. And, uh, um, you know, I don't think that next year will be the same as this one, uh, by any stretch of the imagination, but eventually there will be another one. So mm -hmm. That's right. it's a great, great learning opportunity. Absolutely. A relearning for some of us uh, that's been in it before, because, you know, let's face it, we've all slept since 2012, I think. So, you know, kind of yeah. forget these things till they're thrown right in your lap again. So, <laughs> All right. Well, I think we've we've uh, exhausted our time uh, with you, but man, we sure appreciate you, Pete, taking taking some time out. Uh, I know you got a lot going on, so appreciate you chatting with us and and uh, filling us in on how. Canada works in the grain business up there. I think it'll be good for for everybody that that listens. So thanks, man. All right, thank you guys. All, All right. right, have a good harvest, Pete. As always, thanks for downloading and listening. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with folks you know in the business. And if you'd like to reach out anytime about anything at all or have any show ideas, you can always find us on Twitter at Elevators Cut. Follow us there, tweet at us, DM us, and we'll always respond. Till next time, for Roger, I'm Jason. For Jason, I'm Roger. Thanks for listening to The Elevator's Cut. Oh!